The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. The angel said to them, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, may my mouth be so filled with the Christmas gospel this night that our ears would be so filled with the Christmas gospel that our hearts our bodies, our minds, our souls would be transformed by the Christmas gospel this night and so that this night there would be more gospel people in this world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I know we come far and wide to gather here for Christmas Eve. I don't know how far you've come from, but I can guarantee you I have the longest commute home tonight. How can I be sure of that? Because I live in Deerfield. <laughs> now, some of you may not know what Deerfield means, but Deerfield is the land of the Christmas lights. People line up for hours and hours on ends, and I'm sure it is their determination that this priest cannot get to his own home after the final service every Christmas Eve. It's interesting, when we tell people that we live in Deerfield, in Christmas Palooza, often folks ask, did you know what you were getting into when you moved there? And the answer is, absolutely not. We were not prepared for the first Christmas, even when the neighbors who were parishioners came over lovingly with boxes of old Christmas decorations and said, you'd better put these up. We still were not prepared. But here's the point, prepared or not, that first Christmas, Christmas came to Deerfield, as it does every year. And isn't this the actual heart of the Christmas gospel? That whether we are prepared for it or not, Christmas comes. Whether we are prepared for him or not, Jesus comes. Jesus enters into our lives and into this world, whether we are prepared for him or not. That's the heart of the Christmas gospel. 
I mean, we often ask each other, are you prepared for Christmas? Are you prepared for Christmas? We have a lot of baggage behind that. Are you prepared for Christmas? It matters not. What matters is that Christmas has been prepared for you. This is what ultimately matters. You see, as we look at this Christmas story today, tonight, we see how God is always entering into this world, how God is always entering into the lives of human beings. That though he is unwelcome, yes, God is most of the time unwelcome in our lives and in our world. Though he's unwelcome, he's unwavering in his determination to come. He comes, whether we ask him or not, whether we try to hold him back or not, he comes. But not only do we see that though God is unwelcome, he is unwavering in his coming, it is because he's unwilling for us to perish. This is the heart of the Christmas gospel. See, first we need to recognize that God is unwelcome. Oh, it doesn't sound like a very happy way to start a Christmas sermon, but it's true. Look at verse seven of the text. There was no place for them in the inn. There was no room for Jesus. They were in the stables. This is how it always is. Humanity getting on with our lives, living as if it doesn't matter whether there's a God in heaven or not, pushing him at the edges of our lives and beyond. And it's not just the innkeepers. We can't blame them. Look at Caesar. Caesar Augustus, verse 1 Here he is taking a registration of the whole world. It's a census. It means he wants to conscript new armies and he wants to get more taxes. It's the government doing what the government always does, trying to run the world as if there is no God in heaven. Caesar's about his business. And so are the shepherds, even the lowly workers, out in the fields trying to make a living. Verse 8, no sense that God is about to break into their lives. And yet God comes. See, this is actually strangely comforting when we begin recognizing that God is unwelcome in this story and continues so often to be unwelcome in our lives. For if I look at my own heart, it's not just innkeepers and mighty Caesars and shepherds that are not open and ready for him. I'm not ready for him. I'm not prepared. I'm not inviting him in. My heart is so often closed. I'm so busy. I am so busy trying to get on with life without any reference to God, and yet still God comes. Here's the joy and the comfort of the fact that God is unwelcomed because it gives us hope when we look at the world today. See, so often as Christians, I think we can look at the world and see, you know, oh, God has been kicked out of our schools, and it seems like God is being kicked out of all the portions of our nation, and we wring our hands and we get concerned, and someone walks us to, up to us in the grocery store and says, happy holidays instead of Christmas, happy Christmas, or Merry Christmas. We think, oh no, the world's falling apart. Well, guess what? The story always begins with God being unwelcome. It has been from the very beginning of the story and it continues even today. God is naturally in our sinful nature not welcome. And that's okay because the whole story of Christian mission is God bringing his gospel into places where it is unwelcome and look what happens. I mean, look at your Christmas tree when you go home tonight. That Christmas tree comes into your life now because 1,200 years ago, a man named Boniface, a British monk, went over to Germany determined to convert all the pagans. And while he was over there trying to convert the pagans, Boniface discovered that the gospel was very unwelcome there. 
they wanted nothing to do with him. So he thought, we need a little bit of a show of power here. Well, they're worshiping the god of thunder, Thor. I mean, who's not going to worship Chris Hemsworth? They're there worshiping Thor around this tree, and for an act of power, this British monk, Boniface, goes and chops down their sacred tree, and instead he builds a Christian chapel with it. I know it doesn't sound very politically correct today. I think it's awesome. He builds his wonderful little chapel there. They wait for the thunderbolts to come from Thor. Thor sends no thunderbolts. The whole village is converted, and they start coming to church. And you know what they do the next year at Christmas, at winter solstice when this happened? They go out and they start putting Christian symbols onto the trees as a sign that they've moved from worshiping the trees to worshiping the Son of God who was born in a manger. Look at what happens in places where God is unwelcome. Look at the possibility. For as Romans 5 tells us, that while we were enemies of God, yes, enemies of God before we knew him, Though we were enemies of God, while we were enemies of God, Christ died to reconcile us. It is incredible when you look upon a region or a people or even my own unwelcome heart, my inhospitable heart towards God, God can do incredible things in that place with his gospel. But it's not just that it begins with God being unwelcome. We need to recognize in the Christmas story that he is unwavering. In his coming, look at verse 11 and 12. The shepherds are out in the field. They're busy. The angels show up unannounced. They're terrified. Fear not. The angels say, I bring you good news of great joy. That's for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. God unasked for, unwelcomed even, is unwavering in his coming. He comes. He arrives. See, we need to remember, oh, do I need to remember, that it's not about us being ready for Jesus. It's about Jesus being ready for us. Jesus being resolved to come for us. For as he says in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Oftentimes when we think about God, we have a little bit of a sequence error, if we're honest. And we're so busy trying to make ourselves appropriate and right for God that we can think, I need to clean myself up before God will love me. I need to do a lot of work. There's some soul searching, some real spiritual calisthenics I need to do to get myself ready and clean for God, and then he'll love me. And that's a totally backwards way of seeing how God works. For as John 3.16 says, Here's the sequence. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see the order? As C.S. Lewis says, God does not love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he is love. Or as some unnamed author would say, Lewis didn't say this, Jesus being a good fisherman knows you need to get the fish in the boat before you can clean it. God comes for us while we are unwelcoming of him. He's unwavering in his desire to come and rescue us. We do not need to clean ourselves up first. And in fact, it's a problem when we think we can. You know, we have a strange Christmas tradition I've talked about before. That on Christmas Eve, yes, it's almost embarrassing to say it out loud. My family and I, and we did it today, have McDonald's on Christmas Eve. 
Um, yes, yes, here's the story. There's a background story. I've been a priest for a long time. Uh, and you gotta be very, very merciful with priests' families because you, know, you get to come with your family on Christmas Eve and have a service and go home together. I'm here like all day and most of tomorrow. So, so Monica, for our whole life, has been used to you know, getting the four kids ready and, you know, bringing them down to church early. And then we'd have lunch together before daddy begins the, the festival of services that go on, you know, through the rest of the evening. And so she would always try and prepare, you know, something nice to eat that we could eat in my office. And the girls would be trying to, you know, get their little dresses on and get all ready for Christmas. Again, be all cleaned up and ready for the perfect Christmas, right? Well, one year, everything went wrong. All the mothers in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything went wrong that Christmas. And I got a phone call and she says, everything went wrong. And there was a lot of details about what went wrong. And she said, and so I'm bringing McDonald's for dinner and you're going to be okay with it. And I said, I'm going to love it. And so we sat there in my office, very broken, very aware of our frailty, eating McDonald's. And in fact, it was one of the most blessed, beautiful Christmas moments we've ever had. There in our brokenness, in our frailty, feeling just how unclassy we are, just how we have not cleaned ourselves up, we could sit there and enjoy the goodness of God. And so at that point, we said, I think we're going to do this every Christmas. And that's been about 16 years now we've had McDonald's every Christmas. So if I look a little haggard and a little sore to my stomach, you know, you'll know why, because I ate McDonald's for Christmas today. You know, I just started the sermon by saying I live in Deerfield, and now you're like, yeah, you eat McDonald's, you're not that classy. So the point being, <laughs> the point is we do not clean ourselves up before God comes in. God, in his unwavering grace, comes to those who do not know him, do not welcome him, do not want him, have not asked for him to do a work for us that we cannot do ourselves. And so we finally find the reason because he's unwilling for us to perish. So funny little thing the angels say after this wonderful, glorious declaration. They say, this will be a sign for you, verse 12. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You say, what's that all about? Swaddling cloths? What's the big deal? You wrap the baby up. Here's the deal. That here at the beginning of Luke's gospel, as he's talking about the birth of the one we've waited for, that we didn't even know we were wanting, who's entered in the world, he's wrapped up in these swaddling cloths. It's a sign of his frailty. He really is human. He's a little human baby. The son of God, fully in flesh, needs to be wrapped up, needs to be bundled and swaddled. But you know when the next time that Luke is going to reference Jesus being swaddled? It will be in Luke chapter 23, after he's died on the cross, bearing the sins of humanity, living the life you and I should have lived, dying the death in our place that we should have died. Jesus coming off the cross, we're told they swaddled his body again for burial. It is the bookends of his life on earth. And it's a picture of why he came, unwilling for you and I to perish, knowing as the king of the cosmos that in our sin and rebellion, there is nothing we could do but die and stand condemned. And so he said, I will not let them perish. I will perish in their place. Now, when you look in to your crash at home and you see this child swaddled, it's not just that first moment of his earthly life. It's a picture of the last. This 
is why he came, unwilling for you and I to perish. You know, first time I went internationally overseas, I went to Nairobi. It was back in 2013. I'd never traveled internationally. Now I travel all over the world. But back then I went to Africa for the first time and didn't quite know exactly how to eat appropriately. I'd been warned that you should be careful what you eat because our little very fragile Western stomachs can't handle the good hearty African meals sometimes. And so I ate something I shouldn't have and I was feeling a bit sick. Well, I was up presenting uh, at this conference and my bishop came up to me after. I'll never forget. He walked up to me and he said, Paul, you look terrible. And I was like, well, thank you so much. And he said, no, you look awful. And he said, you ate something you weren't supposed to eat. And I said, I'm fine. He goes, no, you're not fine. You look terrible and you need to let me fix you. And I said, I'm fine, Bishop. And he said, I'm your Bishop. And I said, yes, your Bishop. I said, okay. And he said, he literally grabbed me by the shoulder lovingly, took me, put me in a cab, told the cabbie to take me to the hotel, said, you go take those antibiotics that you brought with you. And I expect you to call me from the hotel when you've taken them to let me know you have. And then you go to bed. Yes, Bishop. I went, I did as I was told, mostly reluctantly. I'm not that sick. I went to bed, slept hard for about eight hours, woke up feeling very weak, but feeling somewhat recovered. Here's how I know this was important. A friend of mine ate the same meal as I did, felt the same way. The bishop did the same thing with him. He disobeyed the bishop. He didn't go back to the hotel. He did not take his antibiotics. He waited till that evening and he was sick for two weeks straight. The point is this. Christmas, the Christmas gospel, the way God enters into our life is the exact same way. He comes to you and I unasked and says, you look terrible. You need me to fix you. You need me to fix you. Will you let me? The question is always, how do we respond? How do we respond to this unasked for grace, this unasked for miracle of salvation? And the answer is simply to say yes. To say, yes, Lord, I know I have not welcomed you fully. And again and again on a regular basis, I push you back out of my life and yet you still keep coming unasked for and you say, yes, yes, do for me what I cannot do for myself. Fix me as you determined to fix me. And he does. You know, we get an opportunity to rehearse that week after week. You know, we gather here week after week and we hear the message again. And then we get to respond. And you get to respond tonight. We come forward and we kneel down at this rail and we put out our hands. And what a picture of submission. We don't grab at the wafer. We don't grab at the cup. We simply put out our hands and let God do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's how we say yes. That's how we say yes to his unasked for salvation at Christmas. It's Christmas every day of the year. He's always entering in. He's always breaking through again. You look terrible. You need to let me fix you. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make 
his blessings known. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the, far as the curse is found. We're going to sing that tomorrow morning if you come back at 11. <laughs> Are you ready for Christmas? Friends, it matters not. What matters is that Christmas has been made ready for you. Come and receive his gift afresh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.